All right. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, December 14th, and we are back. Um, it's got uh, just Felix and Chris are back. Just a regular episode today. No guests. So uh, let's just uh, dive into it. And I guess I'd like to start today's episode with um, talking about somebody who's disappointed me greatly. And I'm referring to uh, the new president of Argentina, Javier Milley. And like I did, this guy's blowing it. This guy's blowing it right off the bat. I think it's fair to say Bolsonaro clears this fucking clown. But I wanted to start today talking about um, the coverage of his inauguration and the whole thing about cloning his dogs. Felix, are you aware of this? It was the main thing I knew about him was that he cloned his dogs and that apparently they have a, a, a presidential scepter in Argentina. Yep. And he put reliefs of his cloned dogs on the scepter. Uh, yeah, he, he has a, he, uh, the, the main dog who he considers like spiritually his child um, is named Conan. And the other cloned dogs are named after libertarian economists like Milton Friedman and Murray Rothbard. I'm just going to read here just as like the, 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 the dog stuff is it goes pretty deep. It says uh, when Conan died in 2017, Millet reportedly visited a medium to communicate with his late beloved pet. It was in that telepathic conversation, Millet has said, that Conan relayed God's mission for him to become president of Argentina. So this is like the, the son of Sam presidency, basically. His fucking dead dog is telling him to run for president, meeting with a medium? Well, what's like disappointing about it is like, okay, so he's mentally ill enough to like talk to his dead dog and like re- receive direction from it. But the dead dog is telling him to, like, basically govern, like, Macri. Yeah. To uh, just, like, govern, like, a regular, like, center-right bureaucrat. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, did the dog tell him to convert to Judaism? I mean, I, I, I'm i just like, he, he gave uh, he gave Zelensky a, a menorah as a gift for visiting. That's not that's not base, dude. Well, his, his politics are, like, incredibly confused. <laughs> He's like, um... It's all base stuff. It's illegal to be like black and gay, but also I stand with NATO. Uh, we have to defend democracy. I guess it's like kind of like what Ronald Reagan being president was like because you you have a lot of goofy shit, but at the end of the day, it's just the same as having like Marco Rubio as president. I don't know, if, like if Marco Rubio is quite as interesting as I'm just going to read here. According to Argentina's La Nación newspaper, Millet believes that he and Conan first met in a previous life more than two thousand years ago as a gladiator and lion in the Roman Coliseum. I mean, it doesn't say who they was were. Who, they were enemies. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When did they I mean, make like, up? Uh, <laughs> Well, it's it's through the through the sport of of uh, blood sport and uh, uh, you know gladiatorial combat that I think that they they originally forged this alliance. But yeah, I mean, it's just like this shit is so fucking washed. Like Bolsonaro would never believe anything so embarrassing because like it's this it's this reincarnation of horse shit where everyone is always someone cool two thousand years ago. Yeah, sure, you were a lion. Your dog was a lion and you were a gladiator. Also, there's no way Bolsonaro would be around like three large sized dogs and not immediately be (laughs) mauled to death. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It says here, uh, 
and the pair did not. Okay, wait, no, actually, it goes continues. It says the pair did not fight because they were destined to join forces in the future, which he believes was a prophecy of his animal influence presidential campaign. In 2018, Millet went on to pay about $50,000, according to Reuters and the New York Times, to a U.S. company, Perpetuate, to clone Conan using his DNA, something Millet has reportedly been planning to do for some time. The procedure resulted in five puppies, whom Millet named after the original Conan, and the economists Murray Rothbard, Milton Friedman, and Robert Lucas. Millet regularly refers to the current clone Conan as his son and doesn't distinguish from him uh, it doesn't distinguish him from the original Conan and the other four dogs as his grandchildren. I mean, this is like blue hair cat lady, you know, pets as a substitute for having kids thing. Like, I mean, this guy's a fucking this guy's like a he's great aunt Millie. <laughs> it's also like I don't really believe the company. It's <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, for five thousand dollars to clone your dog. Like I, 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 I literally just believe that they found a dog that kind of looked like him. Well, fifty grand to um, clone something perfectly seems like a bit of a cut rate operation. I don't know. All in all, this guy is, you know, rhino alert. He yeah. came in there. He came in there. He was like, um, "We're getting rid of the central bank. We're going to kill all the gay college professors." And. Uh, no, like no, none of it. None of it. He's um, he's given cordial greetings to like uh, every EU bureaucrat. Bureaucrat. He's totally on board with Zell Disney. Yeah, I just think uh, you know, like, could you imagine Javier Millet? Could you imagine sl- him sleeping in a minion-shaped bed owned by an MMA fighter? <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that. No, question. of course not. Yeah, it is pretty awesome to be claiming that you are psychically connected with an animal that you have had an internal recurrence of combat friendship with over two millennia and that this animal is not telling you that like Argentina needs to conquer the entirety of South America or anything, but instead that the budget needs to be balanced. Well, like, good luck with that. Good good luck with Argentina conquering like anything. <laughs> Well, you know, at least at least having the ambition to do it. I mean, this is like, you know, yeah, I, th- I think Reagan is a good comparison because like in his second term when he was letting his fucking uh, a, 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 his wife's astrologer decide policy. I mean, this guy's talking to his fucking cloned dogs. Anyway, he's been he's been a huge letdown. And like, you know, it's just, you know, pet people. They're weird. Felix, I don't know if you saw this today, but real blast from the past. Did you see um, Eric Garland calling our friend Alex an Israeli agent? Alex Nichols? Yes, low an option. What, what brought this on? <laughs> okay, good, good question. Uh, basically, uh, someone, like, he was sharing uh, a piece that Alex wrote for the outline um, back in like 2017 about David Frum. And uh, like, someone posted the article and was like, I have no idea who low an option is. But this article's great. And then Eric Garland piped up to say, I do know who Lowen Option is. He's an Israeli agent associated with Chapo Trap House who used their Brooklyn podcast to spread psyops. And then he even brought up my grandfather as well. It was a real like what year am I living in moment for me today. <laughs> I like the idea that Gar- Eric Garland like cannot progress past 2017 posting. You know, it's like a guy who peaked in high, playing football in high school. He just has to keep continually relitigate articles from the outline. He's the Uncle Rico of game theory. Yes. So I, could, I, could, I, could, I could do some theory over that mountain when, when, back in the day. I kind of do appreciate it to an extent because like 
if you remember Russiagate, like all the actual good leads, like led entirely to Russia or uh, Israel, which, you know, like if you're looking for a country that's run entirely by organized crime, uh, Russian criminals at that um, <laughs> look no further than Israel. So well, no, he's, I mean, actually, he's got his eye on the prize there. Well, I got to credit uh, Mr. Garland. I mean, like he's moved. I mean, he has moved on from the Russian election interference. And now he's apparently been posting about Israeli election interference and that we moved on from being Israeli. I mean, Russian agents to being Israeli ones. But he's also going after the family court system of Missouri. I mean, it happens. It, there's no avoiding it. If you were a poster online, you will one day be railing against the oppression of the family <laughs> court system. It's just such a whiff, though, to accuse like Alex, of all people, of being an Israeli agent. <laughs> You know, <laughs> he's he's a he's a Dutch Calvinist agent. Well, you gotta get it straight. Yeah, <laughs> he could not be further from an Israeli agent. I'm offended on his behalf. Yeah. Well, uh, time to uh, I guess uh, move on to the part of the show where we do our work on behalf of Israel. Haven't haven't talked about what's going on this week, but I'm just a few headlines. Israel used U.S. supplied white phosphorus to attack civilians in Lebanon. And like, I don't know, Felix, like over the last week, like as this war continues on, we've seen um, a dramatic escalation in the West Bank of like mosques being vandalized, uh, civilians being kidnapped, uh, murder, uh, you know, attacks on ambulances and hospitals in the West Bank, not in Gaza. And then in Gaza itself, we've now moved on into the like, uh, instead of just annihilating families with bombs, they're doing it with guns now in schools. Like just straight up like execution style massacres, face to face, point blank range. We've seen reports of that. But like I, I guess like overall from the, the view here from the United States is we seem to get increasing media reports that the Biden administration it, it seems to believe that they can get the Israelis to wrap this up before Christmas. And I'm wondering what what do you make of that, Felix? Because I'm I'm I, yeah, I mean like, like uh, you know, good luck. I mean, the Israelis themselves, like, ha have said this could take years. Like, I don't know where they're getting this from. I mean, uh, we've talked about it before, about how, like, Biden's calculus on this is like, um, well, yeah, you know, this is going to look ugly. But, like, if I know anything about the Israelis, they'll get this done quick. It will look bad. But, like, you know, no one will remember. But the new Israeli army... I don't expect them to get this done by the second Trump term, if they get it done at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is from the uh, New York Times. Uh, Biden warns Israel it's, it is losing support over war. I'm just reading from the article. It says here, Mr. Biden delivered the blunt assessment of America's closest ally in the Middle East during a fundraiser in Washington, where he described Mr. Netanyahu as a leader of the most conservative government in Israel's history, which doesn't, quote, want anything remotely approaching a two state solution to the country's long running dispute with Palestinians. The president said that Israel had support from Europe and much of the world, as well as the United States. But he added they're starting to lose that support by the indiscriminate bombing that takes place. What fucking a, year is he living? Yeah, I don't. That, like, I don't the know. Two state solution is still on the table. Well, I mean, th this was funny, Felix, because I remember, like, uh, just it's. I mean, it feels like two months ago, but like at the beginning of this week, there was this spate of articles. I'm thinking of, of course, Zach Beauchamp in Vox uh, heralding the the return of liberal Zionism and the two state solution. Wait, the re the return of it? <laughs> yeah. 
the return of liberal show, Zionism question mark show your show your work I mean like I uh I I don't even think liberal Zionists think that's happening what is his reasoning there well I mean it's just like uh the subhead for the Vox article is for many Jews the October 7th attacks discredited both the Zionist right and the anti-Zionist left paving with a way for the resurrection of a seemingly dead political tradition well okay so Kadima's coming back <laughs> Well, I mean, like, uh, well, every, every statement from, like, Israeli government officials is that, that they have no intention of ever allowing a Palestinian state. And, like, this directly contradicts what Biden just said. But then again, but then in, in his remarks, like, it's so convoluted because he says that, like, he's like, wrap it up. You're losing the goodwill that you've built up in the world opinion and with the indiscriminate bombing and, you know, your right wing government that doesn't want to do anything to negotiate with the Palestinians. But then he says... Without Israel as a freestanding state, not a Jew in the world is safe. Folks, were there no Israel, there wouldn't be a Jew in the world that was safe. Were there no Israel. Well, that, I like that because he sounds like a threat. <laughs> yes. What is he talking? I mean, like, I know he also said uh, in his remarks at the fundraiser, Mr. Biden pledged to continue that support for Israel's effort to protect itself, saying we're not going to do a damn thing other than protect Israel in the process. Not a single thing. So it's just like, I mean, we see the same, like a different version, but like the same totally convoluted thinking in like Bernie Sanders' public statements about this, where now he's talking about cutting off their military aid. But like he was against the U.S. vetoing the uh, Security Council resolution on a ceasefire, but against the Congress calling for a ceasefire. It's just like the, the cross currents going on right now in trying to salvage what is America's policy towards Israel, at least it, as it regards the Democratic Party, is uh, pretty, uh, I don't know, like uh, it's just it's causing vertigo to like try to look at or understand any of these positions. Yeah, uh, Bernie especially is like completely fucking incoherent. So it's like no ceasefire, but we can't keep sending weapons. But also, like Israel should be permitted to do whatever it wants. I mean, I, I, I legitimately cannot evince any type of coherent set of policies from Bernie. I, I mean, like what, what is? What is the point here? I mean, he always has been a Zionist. That always has been, like, um, one of the negative things about him. But, like, there used to be some form of coherence. Like, a sort of, like, Peter Beinart in 2014-type ethos. Mm -hmm. And now, it's just, like... He's for a ceasefire, but not a permanent ceasefire. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what he stands to gain out of this. I don't know if this is just like him making some type of calculus that he, you know, he's showing Biden that he's serious so he can, I don't know, uh, bring, bring back the child tax credit or something. I'm willing to credit that it's his genuine point of view. Yeah. I mean, like it, it, it doesn't make sense, but like, uh, let's consider, I mean, Felix, you, you mentioned it, it briefly, but let's consider for a second. I mean, Obviously, the scale of death in this war on the Palestinian side is is staggering. But like, uh, have you been following the accounts of um, the Israeli uh, or occupation forces and their casualties in this conflict? Because this is now two plus months into it, and they are they are losing twenty three year old majors at an astonishing clip, and also underreporting their fatalities by probably seven to eight times what they actually are. Yeah, um, I don't know if you read this news story, but there was um, 
it was a funeral director who said that like uh he did something like 60 funerals in the last weekend i mean you kind of expect the israelis to underreport their casualties but um this is just kind of fucking ridiculous i i don't know it may be years before we know the full scale of uh their losses but uh suffice to say it could be like 10 times what they say. Well, I mean, militarily, they've shown no indication that they've degraded Hamas's ability to attack them in the slightest. I mean, like, we're, we're still seeing the videos, and it seems like, you know, like, uh, ambushes of their elite military units. That, and, like, and then, like, you know, <laughs> a release of names of the, of the names that they are saying have been killed, of, like, the commanders of these units, these, like, commissioned officers who were, like, 20 years old, uh, getting killed because they're, I mean, it just, it, it seems to me like a, a total breakdown in, uh, like, I don't know, competency and discipline. And it's just like, for for that many officers to be getting killed in this comp, I know, I know, I know there's like an officer inflation problem, but uh, it's just like, it, it, it seems like they're very good at just killing thousands of civilians and like, and they're, and they're continuing to do it. But like, I mean, by their claims that they're like, oh, we, 60% of our victims are civilians. The rest of them are all Hamas fighters. Does anyone believe that? Yeah, for that to be true, they would have had to killed 8,000 Hamas troops, which, like, th- does anyone believe that? I certainly do not. So they made that big show of, like, detaining all those uh, supposed Hamas guys. Oh, yeah, when they were, <laughs> stripped them naked and then and then made them give their guns over. Then, then disarm them, you know, because you want to take a guy's pants off before you, you make him give his rifle back. Well, most of them didn't even seem to have guns in the first place because... Yeah, it was just one um, guy. Most of them were UN aid workers, and the Israeli response to that was like, oh, well... um, that shows that Hamas is working with the UN. <laughs> no, yeah, like they keep pointing. Like I, I saw, like uh, Israeli accounts being like pointing out that like uh, the people in the the crowds of men that were stripped naked and blindfolded were like UN workers or, or, or doctors or something like that. And they were like, "See, we've told you all along." And once again, it's like get your fucking propaganda story straight before you keep popping off like this. There were some uh, amazing contortions uh, that I saw around some of those stripped uh, photos, like, you know, people pointing out, okay, so you've got a crowd of stripped people and somebody emerges with a machine gun to like hand over like no, something about this doesn't make sense. And people being like, well, clearly the fighters took off all their clothes before turning themselves in to prove that they were not a threat, but still brought their weapons to turn them over as a sign of like so many completely. Yeah, completely yeah. harebrained. Yeah, I mean, they made it seem like it was one of those like early '90s, like stop the violence between the Bloods and Crips things. <laughs> Jim Brown was mediating. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just back back on the U.S. side for a second, um, there's been uh, one sort of like U.S. government official that's really become the face of this uh, U.S. policy right now, and it's a Rear Admiral John Kirby. I mean, you, you know, John Kirby, I feel, I'm sure we talked about him on the show before. I mean, he's been like, like I said, the mouth yeah, he's, for some of the most slanderous Ned, lies. Yeah, he's replaced Ned Price as the guy who squirms on the podium. <laughs> but uh, Felix, did you see him wearing uh, uh, an, 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 like an IDF dog tag at his latest press conference? It was a oh, dog no, tag I, I, given to him by uh, the father of one of the hostages. And he was wearing the dog tag to be like, bring them home. But I was wondering, like, remember Elon Musk? He wore Israeli dog tags to the uh, the deal book summit. 
Felix, have you seen these fucking dog tags? They're like the size of playing cards. They're ridiculous. It's a very strange design. I mean, it, it is very much a fashion over function. But um, with Elon, I don't think it was so much a pro-Israel thing. I think it was like he's recently lost a bunch of weight on a Zempic. And he's trying out a bunch of stupid new outfits. <laughs> but um, yeah, John Kirby wearing them just looked even more like an asshole. Well, uh, John Kirby, you know, he's he's becoming a star. And I'd like to uh, talk about this uh, Washington Post profile of him. And the astonishing thing about this is that, like, it's, it's pretty clear if you read this article that the Biden administration and the U.S. government thinks he's doing a fantastic job. And the thing is, I guess that's not so hard to believe because he is doing a fantastic job of basically committing wholeheartedly and unashamedly to every fucking lie imaginable to justify our policy uh, towards Israel and to justify the killing. But like this Washington Post profile of him is pretty interesting. I'm just going to read a little from it. It says uh, the headline is John Kirby becomes a commanding presence in the briefing room. The retired rear admiral and National Security Council spokesman has stepped up in the White House to keep Biden's Gaza and Ukraine messaging clear. And I guess like I, this is his reward for by keeping it clearer. I mean, like pre- pre- presenting uh, presenting our policy vis-a-vis Ukraine and Israel in a way that is like flatly absurd and idiotic and hypocritical to like the entire eyes of the world. But he does it in a way that's angry and he doesn't back down. So for the Washington Post, he's like he's doing a very good job. And he's, quote, now a commanding presence because he says that Hamas is doing genocide. It is not the Israeli Defense Forces strategy to kill innocent people. It's happening. I admit that each one's a tragedy. But it's not like the Israelis are sitting around every morning and saying, hey, how many more civilians can we kill today? Let's go bomb a let's go bomb a school or a hospital or a residential building and just and cause civilian casualties. They're not doing that. They're trying to go after Hamas, and it's a very difficult task. When Hamas, oh by the way, in addition to deliberately slaughtering people, is deliberately hiding themselves in residential buildings, in hospitals, in tunnels, uh, making it putting the innocent people of Gaza directly in the crossfire. Now you tell me, is that right? This year. After another day of crisis in Gaza last month, a reporter asked John Kirby if, in a White House press briefing whether President Biden's support of the Israelis' military response against Hamas constituted support for genocide against Palestinians. The National Security Council spokesman was having none of it. This word, genocide, is getting thrown around in a pretty inappropriate way by a lot of different folks, Kirby said, before turning the accusation around. What Hamas wants, make no mistake about it, is genocide. They want to wipe Israel off the mat. And we're going. if we're going to start using that word, fine, let's use it appropriately. It was a typical Kirby response, direct, plain spoken and unmistakably supportive of the administration's pro-Israel policies. So, like, yeah, this is his reward for for getting up there is like, you know, a, a flattering profile in, in the Washington Post. But I guess like in, in reading this for me, uh, the first thing that struck me is that he's a he's a former Navy guy. He's a retired admiral. And there's just something I don't know inappropriate to me about a navy guy talking as tough as this asshole (laughs) did you at least get a marine out there this guy has literally never not been in an air-conditioned office (laughs) these guys are like the uber drivers for marines (laughs) yeah says officially the retired navy rear admiral rear admiral speaks for the security council and advisory branch of the white house but the twin crises in gaza and ukraine have had the effect of giving kirby 60 an even more prominent role as the biden administration's point person on both topics 
One self-described fan of Kirby is Gordon Jandro, who was an NSC spokesman during George W. Bush's presidency when Kirby was working for then Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Admiral Mike Mullen. He's done a nice job of joining the briefings and being a strong national security voice during a very complicated time, John Drow said. Reporters say they values Kirby's experience and insider knowledge, as well as his way of framing complicated geopolitical issues. God, what a way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> we really appreciate his framing of these complicated geopolitical issues, which is that uh, Israel is not doing genocide and is, in fact, um, protecting themselves from one. At times, he can be a little too colloquial. Last week, noting Ukraine's need for additional military aid and the uncertainty of congressional approval, Kirby told reporters, we've got a few more weeks here and then we're out of Schlitz, a reference likely to mystify anyone under 60. It's a riff on an old ad slogan. When you're out of Schlitz, you're out of beer. <laughs> we've got to do a beer run to Ukraine. Didn't they just make a movie about that? Yeah, yeah. I was about doing a beer run to <laughs> Vietnam. Get our boys a cold one. But uh, this guy... Uh, Felix, I mean, I, whenever I see this guy, I think of you because whenever I see his presence behind the podium, I am, it invokes in my mind the specter of a golem. And like, to me, it seems like he is some sort of like inanimate clay that has been imbued directly with the soul of Donald Rumsfeld. Like it was just sort of siphoned right, right out of his asshole on his deathbed into this lump of clay who's now a rear admiral and on the Security Council. Well, there is an element that he has that Rumsfeld doesn't, which is like the fake crying. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah. Rumsfeld like, never cried. Yeah. That was one thing I respected about Rumsfeld. But yeah, this guy, like he burst into tears when he was talking about like, you know, Russia bombing hospitals and like uh, the horrors uh, in Ukraine. And then, you know, not even months later is, you know, hey, these things happen in war. Yeah, like, you're right. He, 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 he received the empathy patch so that he could evince tears <laughs> for people Russia kills. But then, like, as soon as it's Palestinian hospitals being shredded by Israeli artillery or snipers, then he, then he gets in the, the, the classic Rumsfeld note, like, mode of grinning, smirking, sort of skull face, like, uh, condescension and, and, uh, and, and slander. But yeah, no, I mean, he's he's a real beaut. And that, oh, God, that other State Department spokesperson, Matthew Miller. Do you got you know who I'm talking about, Felix? Uh, he, no, he's got like he's got very slicked back hair. He has very boyish looks. And he's just like always the guy. Again, he has this smirking thing where he's always going. I'm not going to answer that question. Can I just return to the images of the, the Palestinians uh, stripped uh, and in the back of vehicles and. and seemingly handing in weapons. Um, why not just condemn the images now? As I said, we found them deeply disturbing. I just don't have a, 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 any additional comment but on it. it. But can I follow up? Is, sure. is there any circumstance in which those sorts of images would be acceptable? Again, uh, we found them disturbing. I don't want to, to, to discuss other potential um, uh, circumstances. We have found the, them uh, disturbing. We've asked them to clarify the circumstances of these detentions, and we're going to um, uh, look to them to provide those details. And, and how long will you wait? Again, we're, that is how long it will take is a question for them. I'm not going you know, to speak on ongoing military operations. And then like, he's always chiding people for like, he's like, I'll, I'll, now I'll answer your question. Don't answer another question before I finish not answering the first question. I don't know where they get these people. But like I said, I, th I think Kirby is like, it, it's clear that like, Washington thinks he's doing a really good job. And I think it's just indicative of how fucking out of their minds they are. Yeah, no. I 
I don't know if there's ever anyone who's been good at this job. You know, yeah, hard like, to say. But, like, I guess McNamara had like an aura <laughs> of slickness, but I, yeah, there's just no way to do this job and not come off like a complete callous asshole. But these guys are especially just shop worn. Well, uh, in, in the Kirby piece, like, you know, like the, the big, um, the, the sort of uh, the feather in his cap in like the first two paragraphs was his uh, response to the question of is Joe Biden supporting a genocide and his, you know, angry uh, denial of such a thing and his turning around at the accusation. I mean, they're obviously very impressed by that. I mean, that's that's the line that they want to get out there. But, you know, we, we talked a lot about on the show since this thing, since this has started about the kind of the demands about certain words that you can and can't use and like genocide being one of them. And, you know, like the slogan from the river to the sea, you know, like we've seen a lot of um, like disciplining or just, you know, polite, offered in good faith suggestions about, you know, what rhetoric to use or how to how to, you know, what words you should use to describe reality. And the new one that I've noticed this week is colonizer, colonizer or, or settler colonial state is the new word or phrase that you're not allowed to use. And by by way of. Proving that, I've got another New York Times article here. This is by Roger Cohen in the opinion section. Who's a colonizer? How an old word became a new weapon. And I think this is just so indicative of the place we're at now, where it's just like, yes, words are weapons, but the white phosphorus that we're like rushed, drop shipping to fucking Tel Aviv, like right now, those are just, you know, that, that's a foreign aid package. I'm just going to read here. It says, I'm jumping ahead a few paragraphs, but he says here, as an insult or, li or line of attack, colonial is enjoying a field day. In African states, leaders of several coups in recent years have justified their actions in part as a response to a neocolonial order marked by Western dominance of international capitalism, technology, and finance that they say accomplishes by other means what colonial armies once achieved through force. If there has been a striking new element in the current cycle of Israeli-Palestinian bloodshed, apart from the scale of the killing, it has been the way that pro-Palestinian protesters have denounced a settler colonial Israel with Palestinians cast as the dark-skinned indigenous peoples and Israelis as white oppressor interlopers. There was this, that, this was a much less predominant line of argument as recently as the Gaza War of 2014. That stuff particularly annoys me, both on, like, I don't know, this side and people who... Their heart's in the right place, but they um, are taking this on in a very stupid way where, like, just Israelis and Palestinians conform to American conceptions of white and black. And it's like, that's not really, like, the most racist parties in Israel are not white. Like, they're, like, they're parties like Shah's who, um, you know, uh, was founded by Ovadia, the um, absolutely insane uh, Mizrahi rabbi who said, among other things, that the duty of all nine uh, Sephardi Jews is to act as servants and slaves for Sephardis. <laughs> like he basically he basically invented NOI for Jewish people. <laughs> What's this here? Um 
One thing seems clear. The clash over purported Israeli colonialism is part of something larger, a profound movement in people's minds. The Palestinian national struggle has become the cause of justice-seeking dispossessed throughout the world. At the same time, the quest of the Jews to find refuge in a national homeland as the only answer to being perennial outcast has become a battle to demonstrate that far from being colonialist, Israel is a diverse nation formed lar largely, largely formed by a gathering in of the persecuted. And I guess like I'm just like, yeah, this is like, the, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a settler colonial state. It's a refugee state. But again, like until you even mention, and by the way, Roger Cohen doesn't anywhere in this article that like, yeah, the, the, the coming home of, let's say, a supposedly indigenous population 3000 years after they have any connection to the fucking land itself, it, it involved the expulsion of the people that were actually fucking living there. And like, yeah. so you can wrap your heads around that. Like, I mean, like, I don't I and the, all the founders of Israel explicitly thought of it as a settler colonial project, and they said it openly. And Roger Cohen does deal with that at the end of the article by saying this. The early Zionist settlers in Palestine from 1881 to 1914 had no hesitation in calling themselves colonists. The word still had broadly positive connotation then. That world is long gone, but progress does not mean resolution. So he's saying like, oh, yeah, they were colonists. It was just thought of as a good thing then. And now that it's thought of as a bad thing, you can't hold them to that standard. Well, it's also like, it's pretty great at all around because like, yeah, you know, 130 years ago, uh, colonists had like a, uh, a positive connotation. But now the argument is, especially on the, uh, amongst like, you know, more squishy liberal Zionists, is that like, were the indigenous ones? You know what I yeah. mean? And any argument that you can make against, like, Palestinians, where it's like, oh, settler colonialism is, it's code for, like, you know, genocide and killing all these people and uh, just justified massacres. And it's like, that doesn't really work when the Israeli side is also claiming that. Yeah. Just a few more uh, pieces from the Roger Cohen article here. It says... However, for Yuval Shaney, a professor of international law at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, dealing with the establishment of Israel as a colonial enterprise is a significant category error. It cannot apply to a conflict involving two indigenous peoples. <laughs> oh, okay. Moving on then, it said here, the idea of an imposed power is wrong, Professor Shaney said. Israel's creation was endorsed by the United Nations. Oh yeah, yeah, we're still imposed on the people that you fucking land you were taking. They didn't agree to that. Well, yeah, it, was, it wasn't imposed. It was just really America said they could do it. Well, well it's, only, it's also like, okay, so when does when do decrees from the United Nations matter or not? Yeah. Because, like, the United Nations, you, you know, not the boldest of all international bodies, has said that, like, um, settlements and everything are illegal. Well, I mean, he does he does mention in the article that uh, Israel's settlement of the occupied West Bank since 1967 is another story. Professor Shaney and many liberal Israelis acknowledged marked colonial characteristics, a dominant power sending half a million settlers into an area through force, accompanied by expropriation, control of the economy and daily humiliation of Palestinians that left little to no room for independent statehood. I mean, like, isn't he just describing the foundation of Israel proper? Like, how does that differ? What, like, what, what's the difference here between the West Bank and, you know, the Nakba when they took over most of the fucking country? And then it uh, goes on to say, 
Professor Khalidi's core thesis that the conflict is best understood as a colonial war waged against the indigenous population by a variety of parties to force them to relinquish their homeland to another people against their will has gained significant traction. Gee, you think? (laughs) For hundreds of thousands of pro-Palestinian protesters in London and Washington, for example, that is the prism through which they see the current war. And again, it's just this like this wish casting that like, you know, uh, this idea that like, oh, like. That, that, that you could you can impose a different framework on on the situation here to make it seem something other than what it is. It's just like it, it's it's overwhelming. It's it's overwhelmingly uh, just like it's the consensus being enforced right now by the media. Yeah, it's very funny to do an argument that's like, well, we must be very very clear about our words that this is not colonialism, except for all the active colonialism that the country is doing. And it's also just like rhetorically so frustrating that, as you said at the beginning of this, like every week there is a new academic dispute over what one word means that's just so clearly smoke and mirrors to dis- to distract from discussing what is actually going on in, in any capacity. Or being angry about it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, we've, we, I mean, obviously we've seen like an intense effort to cast any anger at Israel as anti-Semitic. But yeah, like, and but like, it, it's the... It's the supposed allies who are offering advice about like, oh, just don't say the words free Palestine. Just uh, we're on your side. Just don't say the word genocide. And it's just like, well, I mean, I, I, I'd take this a little bit more seriously if there weren't like actual serious ramifications of the U.S. ever actually admitting what, what's happening is genocide, because then we would be like we have certain obligations based on, you know, 70 plus years now of international law to do something about it. I mean, sorry, there was one more thing in the Roger Cohen thing. I'd like the one the one other argument for why Israel isn't a colonial power is that there's no metropole. Have you heard this one? They're like, you know, like the French who left Algeria could just go home to Paris. But like, you know, Israeli Jews have nowhere to go. And I'm like, how about Paris? How about <laughs> fucking Brooklyn? The metropole yeah, that, is the United States. That's the fucking imperial core we're talking about. That thing was particularly weird. I mean, Biden, we talked about how Biden said that uh, recently. I mean, A, just on its face, not true. I mean, you can't you can't spend weeks saying like, oh, my God, Israel is so fucked. It's the most um, the most deaths of Jews since the Holocaust, which also isn't true if you count uh, the pogroms against uh, Jewish left-wingers uh, during the Argentine dictatorship during Operation Condor. But even then, it's like, well, okay, you're doing a bang-up job over there. Yeah. Keeping, <laughs> keeping everyone safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, the, as Brace said, they didn't, have, they didn't even have someone with binoculars looking at... If, if guys on mopeds were approaching their fucking military base. Like, I mean, yeah, the Empire State's record for preventing Jews from being killed is pretty good compared to Israel's. It's not that. Yeah, every time something like this happens, right, they trot out, like, hate crime statistics, which, like, yeah, hate crimes are horrible. And um, if you look at it a certain way, like Jews do receive like a disproportionate amount of hate crimes, but it's one of those weaselly, weaselly choices of languages where you read it and you go, Oh my God, like Jews are being killed by the hundreds or thousands in America just by virtue of being Jewish. But then you actually break it down and like those hate it's, it's, crimes it's, amount to like, you know, someone... change the name of the salad. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like graffiti most of the time. And it's like, 
and the but graffiti is not even like kill all Jews. It's like free Palestine. That's right. that's the hateful message. Right. Yeah. And even even like the few odd ones that are like, you know, kill all Jews. That's I'm sorry. I just don't categorize that as a hate crime in the same way. And um, it seems like a lot of the like, do you remember that guy in 2016 who like vandalized the Jewish cemetery? And it turned out he was just like a mentally ill Jewish guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's not to say that like you know all all hate crimes are done by like devious jews but it's like you know can we account for some mentally ill people doing mentally ill things here yeah and i mean i, I to me that uh that 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 Yale student and the 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 cafeteria changed the name of Israeli couscous just back to couscous or something and like I don't even know what they did who fucking cares but like the the way that like that that individual shared that story as an example of how young Jews in America are terrified and like are are subject to like violence and hatred as we see stories out of Gaza of them flattening every university in Gaza like literally blowing it up. With 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 airstrikes, just like leveling every shred of civil society left in Gaza, and this Yale student is complaining that they renamed the couscous. I mean, like, do like do they know how this looks to people? I mean, I keep coming back to it. I can't get my fucking head around it. Just like just how cowardly it is. It's just like I just like have some fucking self respect. But like, I don't know. I mean, you can't sign on as we talked about. You can't sign on to an ethno nationalist project without degrading yourself entirely, without humiliating yourself. And like whether like the demand to believe ever increasingly hysterical things and also just to like act publicly in a way that betrays you as like an unstable moron. Yeah, I there's a real sense of like isolation in modern day Israel that like it manifests like I think most plainly in their culture. We've talked a lot about like the world-class, terrible uh, Israeli sketch shows. Um, <laughs> yes. But like, but, but beyond that, it's just like the tone of all of this is so weird. It, it, it belies like a completely isolated group of people. I don't know if South Africa was quite this bad, but they seem to have like lost all purchase on how to, I don't know, relate any of this to people who aren't already on board. It's astonishing. I, I, it's just like, it's the inability. It's either the inability or just like the, the, the flat refusal for propagandistic reasons to ever countenance anyone's legitimate anger at them killing tens of thousands of people. Cause it's always like, Oh, you're, you weren't angry enough about the thousand or so Jewish people who were killed on October 7th. And I think like, you know, like if, if they had not just killed 20,000 people and counting, I think people would have, would have, would have had no problem being sympathetic to Israel. But like you can't kill 20,000 civilians every day ongoing and not expect people to feel anger about that. And like, I, but like, so that's why now that anger has to be sort of transmuted into like uh, neo-Nazi uh, Jew hatred. And I don't know. I mean, just like to switch focus back to the domestic scene for a second. I just want to. I mean, we we saw we saw reports this week that uh, Biden and the Democrats are willing to begin negotiating with Republicans on like an incredibly hardline immigration bill that would essentially be the Trump policy towards immigration in exchange for 
continuing to fund Ukraine and Israel. And like, obviously, like this is suicidal, in my opinion, if you're a Democrat considering running for re-election. But I, I, I couldn't help notice this in, in, in light of the report also coming this week that Hillary Clinton is going to be taking a more active role in the Joe Biden re-election campaign. And like, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm, I'm asking. I'm not predicting anything. But am I insane to think that they're not just going to give it to Chill Dog again and have Trump Clinton redux because like <laughs> they must like I mean like the people in charge of the party like I mean we talked about like do they even want to win the presidency at this point and like I could credit an argument that says no they don't really care but like I don't know I mean like they must see the polls they must understand that like it's not so like they, they keep trying to say that like the Democrats are popular but and, but Biden isn't is like that's kind of the reality and like the economy is good but nobody cr credits Biden for it and like, you know, you, you think that they would, we've, you know, we've wondered out loud, why don't they just, you know, change horses or just, you know, why doesn't he just announce that he's not seeking reelection? But I don't think they want a primary either. So I think they're going to kind of like keep this charade going until the convention and then just sort of unveil chill dog when it's like a fait accompli. And I, then I think the narrative will become not Joe Biden's too old. I think they're going to bank on a narrative that is again, greatly aided by the Dobbs effect to say, don't you wish you could redo 2016? And here's your opportunity <laughs> to. I mean, am I, am I insane to think that this is a possibility? No, because it's um, exactly dumb enough a plan that I could see them doing it. I mean, like, okay, so uh, I did see, like, I did see a memo that was like, okay, we're going to stop focusing on the economy so we can focus entirely on abortion, which is like, okay, Who's our best abortion candidate? Is it literally anyone else? Or is it um, Hillary who said infrequent? Safe, legal, rare. <laughs> Safe, legal, rare. I mean, like, it just, I cannot see any, any choice that they're making that doesn't just end in catastrophe. I mean, the election is a long while away, but judging by what they have so far, I am not very confident. No, and I guess like I, I when I when I think about this, like it, I, I feel like I used to think it was a coin toss before October seventh. Now I think if I had to bet, I would just I would say like Trump is going to be president again. But like, look, we've been down this road before. It's a year out. The, predicting anything like it, it's a mugs game. But at the same time, it's it's really hard for me to see, to see a way in which Trump does not have a very good shot at being reelected. Yeah, I used to say, like, um, I don't know, before Gaza, you know, 65, 70% chance on Biden winning. But it's like they're trying to lose. Like, after Bidenomics, I was like, does he really want to be here? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I saw another news story today that, like, um, to, to return to what I opened the show with talking about how like the Biden administration seems to be trying to cajole Israel into like, you've got basically saying like, you've got a couple weeks to wrap this up. And like that, that's the, like, you know, that's what the, that's how they're trying to rein them in behind the scenes. But like, there's no stick to, to a company that, that this request, like they're, they're not going to withdraw our aircraft carrier groups from the Mediterranean sea. They're not going to condition military aid. They're going to keep selling them the <laughs> white phosphorus. And, but the thing is like, in the news article, it, like they said, like they communicated to the Israeli government that like, you know, if, if this goes on much further, they literally said to the Israelis, you're risking Joe Biden's reelection. 
which to them is like <laughs> their whole fucking goal. No, not only do they not give a shit, I think part of like I think it is partly strategic on their part to do everything possible to ensure that Trump does get reelected. And like, I mean, just like their their blatant disrespect for the Biden administration. And like we've talked about this before. The fact that like they've They've let the Biden administration trot out this fucking senile geezer at least half a dozen times now to back up their absurd lies on a world stage and then do make no effort to um, corroborate them. <laughs> like, they, like they couldn't get a better fucking acting job out of that hospital job they did. Yeah, I don't know what Biden's possible calculus could be besides like just his old oldness, you know, like just. The idea that he's dealing with like Begin or someone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think, I mean, like it, we we joked about it on the show, but like honestly, like that kind of um, sundowning dementia, where like it, you you have perfect recall of things that happened thirty years ago or longer back. I think that's where his brain is. Like I, I think he exists in in. I think he is a, is a you know a, a being of history at this point, and that like and that his mind is not present in the moment or able to look at like current world conditions. Cause like, I don't know, the question has to be asked at what point does Israel cease to be useful even to our cursed satanic empire? Cause like, I, I don't know how much longer it can continue this shit. Cause I mean, I feel like I mean, I, you, you mentioned something earlier this week. Like it's hard to say how exactly it'll happen or when it will happen, but like forget Biden's reelection campaign. I'm just talking about the existence of Israel. Because like, I don't yeah. think it can continue this way much longer. When I said that, it's like, I'm not saying that, like, um, you know, Tel Aviv is going to be nuked or anything like that. Or, like, they'll lose some type of conventional war. But just that, like, what we know about Israel, the country that, like, you know, deploys snipers to shoot grandmothers and puts out 80 brain dead failed hashtags a week. <laughs> it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. I would say that they know that, but I, I legitimately don't think they do. Well, it's like, uh, like, like what, I, like another example of like them not even doing the barest effort to like help Biden sell their lies to the world stage. Cause like every time a U.S. government spokesperson goes out there, they're like, this is about Israel's security they're protecting their borders. They're taking. They have. They have to eliminate Hamas, which is an existential threat to Israel. And then their troops in Gaza are putting, are planting flags and singing songs about how we can't wait to settle this fucking land. It's like that's what I mean about like the the, the fact that like if they act if, if they actually supported Biden, I think they'd be doing making some effort to keep their story straight. But like they don't give a fuck at all because they know Biden Biden is politically weak. And he's not going to and like he's politically weak and is not taking it upon himself to like he hasn't realized that there's literally no political downside for him running for president as a Democrat to telling Israel to go fuck themselves right now. Because like nobody is on board for this shit outside of Washington, D.C. Nobody. Well, it's uh, like to rewind a little bit. I also like don't have that much confidence in Israel being able to take and hold Gaza. If you know what I yeah, mean? No. Like they said, they say, yeah, forget Christmas. This is good. They said this is going to take years. I'm like, I don't know. Like, does, will the Israeli public continue to support this? Because I, I, I mean, I, mean, I know like yeah. probably, probably. I mean, there was a lot of hay being made after October 7th, right? About Israelis being mad at like the failures of 
their intelligence bodies and the military. But that seems to translate not to, oh, like maybe this policy isn't working uh, and more into like, oh, our national security state is like way too woke. <laughs> can I can I ask yeah. you guys something uh, that I've been thinking? I've seen very actually very little speculation about this. What do you think the difference would be with the American response if Trump was president right now? I have no idea. I could not possibly like I'm the same. I, I don't I don't know how. I mean, because I, I, I know I know the. Uh, the Democratic partisans, the line that they're adopting is like, oh, you think Gaza is bad now? Wait till Donald Trump is president. And like, I, I think like what they're saying is like, oh, like he's, he's going to let them drop a nuclear bomb on Gaza and like irradiate a couple million people rather than just slaughter a few tens of thousands of them with conventional weapons. It's hard to imagine a more off the leash uh, response than, than what is happening now. And I, I don't know. I've just been thinking about this because I, I feel like all of this kind of makes me think about like what a poison chalice the presidency is in general now, because it's hard for me to imagine a Trump presidency right now where he's basically not got the same response as to almost everything as Biden and probably similarly has like a 33% approval rating uh, because, you know, he's chained to the same economic responses that are basically running in the background regardless, chained to the same foreign policy responses that are basically running in the background regardless. So, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that's keeping Biden's approval rating so low is the sense that the president can't do anything like there is nothing to be done. And I don't think Biden's very particularly good at messaging around that. He doesn't seem to be giving the administration does not seem to be projecting a lot of hands on the wheel active activity about any of this. But it's hard to imagine that a Trump presidency would have would be in any different place right now other than the like high dungeon that the uh you know the, the sense of continuous panic that the um the media keeps up around around trump you know well also like it's like you know similar to the you know have fun getting deported like there's a veiled threat in all of this yes. as well because they're saying they're like they're like oh you don't like what's happening in gaza now imagine if israel used one of their nuclear weapons on it and it's just like it's like left unsaid is that like the assumption that what's going on right now is fine mm-hmm and is just a normal war that you shouldn't take notice of or get angry at. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, like, if, fuck if I know, like, it, it's, it's, like, yeah, like, it, this is a situation that, like, please to imagine something worse than what's going on right now are really hard to fucking countenance, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, in the, them, yeah, as you just brought up immigration, the, you know, the Democrats signaling that they're willing to play ball on essentially a Trump, Trump style immigration uh, bill. In response, to, like, you know, it's it, it, it's really hard to see how they are trying to position this as like going into like, oh, Trump will be another existential threat other than, I don't know, the whatever anti-democratic or, or you know, electoral conspiracy things that he'd bring up that the Democrats are <laughs> do not do yet. But, you know, who knows? Biden winning the Electoral College and losing the popular vote might uh, scramble a lot of uh, something like that happening might scramble a lot of inputs here. I would really like a Democrat to win the Electoral College and lose the popular vote. I think that that would be pr- a productive outcome. Yes, because there's I, no way I the Republicans agree. would allow the Electoral College to continue if that ever happened. And we've got to get rid of it just you yes. know, on its face. But like, you know, well, I, that, I know that, what, what that I is that is I actually find that to be more likely than Biden winning by like five points. Yeah, could happen. I mean, Ettinger Mendham has been spelling out how how that could be a possibility. It seems like a rare shot, but who knows? Maybe uh, maybe worth putting a bet on if you're into political bets. 
I don't know. It's just like whenever, whenever I say things like this, like obviously a certain class of person will always assume it's because I secretly want Trump to be president or that I'm going to be voting for him. And I'd just like to say now on the show, I will absolutely not be voting for Donald Trump unless, of course, he does one thing. And that is kill Eric and Don Jr. and clone them. And then put them and and then and then create a presidential scepter with the faces of his cloned children on it. Uh, yes, and, and, and Ivanka Venture. too. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's leave it there for today. Uh, wrap it up. Do we have anything to uh, plug at the end of the show? Uh, no, I think we're, no, we're plug, plug free. free for the end of the year. Uh, bu- buy Amber's book. How about that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Dirt bag in stores now. I just received my copy. All right, everybody. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll see you on Monday. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.